Welcome to Vermont Artists and Authors, where we interview great storytellers and artists from the amazing Green Mountain State. This is episode six. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have join us the award-winning author of the action-adventure novel, Caribbean Layoff, in the acclaimed fantasy series, Battle Wizard Saga, C.M. Mike Lance. And we'll be, do we call you CM or do you want to go by Mike during this? Interview? Oh, yeah, go by Mike. Yeah. Mike. Okay. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I know you, Mike, but I want to make sure our viewers and listeners can uh, um, uh, get to know you as well. So what I'll do is that we'll, we'll start off the interview by having you tell everybody kind of your background, how you got into writing and uh, we'll go from there. So go for it. Okay. Uh, I have a background that has absolutely nothing to do with writing. Uh, I graduated with an aerospace engineering degree and moved from Texas. I graduated in Texas, moved to uh, L.A. While I was in college, I decided I didn't want to be an engineer. But being an engineering type, I did my analysis and figured out I could graduate with an engineering degree and get an MBA in the same time it would take me to switch majors. Because absolutely nothing I took as an aerospace engineering degree would transfer to business. So that's what I did. But then I, instead of going directly, somebody offered me a job. So I went to LA to work on airplanes. Uh, And then I went to, uh, I enrolled at UCLA and worked part-time on getting an MBA. It took me about, about four years to do it. Still no connection with writing yet. (laughs) <laughs> we know it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in 2009, when the uh, industry crashed, uh, we, we, were, we were selling almost, uh, I was selling to Sprint at the time. We were selling almost a billion dollars a year to them. And it dropped off to uh, 250 million, which is a huge drop. So they laid off half of our organization, over half of our organization. I uh, got laid off. I was in my early 60s, was bike riding. I swerved to go around a couple who was walking a dog and taking up the whole bike path. And my bike slid out from under me as I swerved away from them. And I landed on my hip and and broke my femur. That allowed me a, a bit of time with nothing to do, no work or anything else. So I thought, oh, what the heck, I'll write something. At this point, this is the first time you've ever actually wrote something then, like a, no. a book or a, okay. No, no, I, uh, I wrote uh, department budgets, product <laughs> specifications, <laughs> product plans, marketing plans, and everybody assumed those were fictitious. <laughs> So it was kind of a natural tra- uh, transfer. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, did, I did try writing. Uh, and then I, I joined a, uh, a writing group in Kansas City, which they had a really great writing group. I mean, we'd go to meetings once a, once a week uh, for about an hour, hour and a half. Be up to 25 to 35 writers sharing what they're writing. You could bring... You, bring things and you could read it or actually with the moderators, if you send it ahead of time, would read it and critique it for you. So, but I thought I'd learned a lot being with the writing group. So I started writing fantasy. Now, 
just recently I've written my fourth fantasy book. And, but after writing my third fantasy book, I went back to uh, my first book, The Action Adventure, and I completely rewrote it. So I guess that's at least version 18 by then. And I actually I won an award. I was a, a finalist with the independent publishers of New England in the action adventure thriller category with the book Caribbean Layoff. So, so, so let me ask you a question, Mike. Then you wrote Caribbean Layoff. That was the book you said you wrote 17 versions of, correct? Right. Is that the mm -hmm. same one? So you wrote that and... Uh, Give us a brief synopsis without giving away the ending. Give us a kind of a brief synopsis for the for the for the viewers and listeners of, of what the book is. Uh, basically, it's about a a, a fellow who uh, comes across an auto wreck, run off the road down into a creek. He goes down to try to help who is ever in it. Finds out that the driver is dead, has gone through the windshield, um, but then he noticed. In the passenger side, there was a pile of money. He couldn't help the driver. There were, were no witnesses. So he took the money, left the drugs, took the money. Scott free because there were no witnesses. The cartel had someone who worked for the drug enforcement agency who was on their payroll. Okay. And they sent him to try to find the money. This is a tale of how they... They were trying to take the money and stash it in the Caribbean. It's it's similar to a lot of other stories, but this has a much happier ending than. <laughs> so you wrote because you you wrote that after seventeen tries. So when you decided to write fantasy after that, it, was it Wizard Dawning? Was then the book that you that was your that was first the first that was my that was the first book that I published self published. So it's two completely separate genres, your action adventure and then your fantasy. Mm -hmm. Did you feel as though that writing the fantasy was more successful for you? Is it like the fantasy genre seems to be more forgiving in how to write it? No, the reason uh, I think I had more success with the fantasy is practice. I wrote 17 versions and uh, did a lot of things wrong, but began to learn and particularly the writers group helped a lot. I learned a lot from the other writers. In fact, one of the things that we did is uh, about seven or eight of us uh, formed a critique group where we met every week uh, and we would review each other's 10 pages worth of, of writing from the pre previous week. And that was extremely valuable in helping me improve my writing to where I didn't feel like it was, it smelled. And how, how was that from the critiques? Like, like, you know, we'll have, you know, if we have some folks that are listening to this that are, you know, budding authors, or maybe they're authors that kind of work by themselves, what would you consider like the benefit of having a critique group or having a, a read local group that is able to talk to each other and, and share, share stuff? And, and then my follow-up question to that would be, um, did everybody have the same level of writing or was it separate different levels? It was different levels. So one of the uh, members of the critique group uh, was a former newspaper editor. He knew where every comma period, spelling, he, abbreviation, he knew everything. Uh, another one was a lawyer and she, she wrote a lot uh, as a lawyer. And then she ended up being a VP of HR at, uh, at uh, Hallmark. 
so she did a lot of writing. And then I, uh, another person taught writing in, in uh, college. Uh, and one of the benefits to it is not just the people were there, but was the, the practice, not only writing, but and getting your own work critiqued, but critiquing other people's work. I think that helps make you a better writer too, because you see how people might be doing things different ways, uh, different from your own that might be worthwhile looking at. Um, so what were some of the points compared to your first version of, of Caribbean layoff to the 18th version of Caribbean layoff? What were some of the points on there that you saw in this, in, in the story that, that you knew you got right away, you got, you got, you got right the first time that still stayed throughout all versions of the story? Uh, I think I have a fairly good handle on action. Okay. Uh, the action pieces of it stayed uh, pretty much the same. My spelling got better. <laughs> and, and one of the things was uh, the uh, uh, punctuation and, and that type of stuff. I learned so much from the other folks in the critique group that uh, helped me move forward with that. So talk to us a bit about also, as you mentioned, you mentioned earlier that through all of your books are, 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 all, in, are, are all independently published, correct? Right. Mm -hmm. So what, are, what, what would you notice as well as, as part of some of the benefits of doing the independent publishing route instead of going through the traditional publishing route? I know, knew some who had been published, but they weren't big sellers. And one of the problems was they were published. If they don't, if they're not immediately successful, generally, their publishers back off advertising for them and, and, and all the other things that the publisher is supposed to do. But the author can't take the book back and do it for themselves now. They're stuck. So unless you have a pretty, pretty good book, it's going to sit in some uh, publisher's basement, not doing much. Uh, whereas uh, Amazon really has turned around the publishing world by uh, making it so much easier to self-publish. Uh, there are authors who are self-published and are making quite a good living uh, selling their books uh, through Amazon. And mostly Kindle books, not, not much in the way of paperbacks. Right. Because uh, uh, EPUB has really grown by leaps and bounds. I want us to um, switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, your, uh, your fantasy series. So you have four books out so far. Right. Um, do you want to give, uh, you're going to kind of give our audience and our, our viewers and our listeners just kind of a, a background of, of uh, this, the series? Okay, sure. Uh, the, the premise is uh, it's some few years in the future uh, and magic has grown in the world, uh, has, has a lot to do with climate change. People are starting to recognize there's magic. In fact, they're, they, they give a, the equivalent of the SAT for magic. Uh, the protagonist in the book, or Sigurd, actually named after my uh, father-in-law, uh, that got that got you some points, I bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> he uh, Sigurd uh, took the test, had no no magic. Figured he'd be living a mundane life. Then his uh, 
great-grandfather shows up who has rarely been in the area, injured by a dark wizard, and wants to pass on his magic legacy to Sig. His, his magic is uh, in an amulet. When he gave it to Sig, Sig had no other magic showing, but for, for the one thing he could change into a, a nine foot tall, 700 pound battle wizard, physically, complete with sword. But anyway, so, so Sig, is, Sig uh, was in uh, Minnesota. He was attacked by a dark, dark mage, the same one that had attacked his great grandfather. Um, the, uh, another wizard who is the dean of the physics of magic school in, uh, at Northwestern University in Chicago, <laughs> came and rescued him and, and Sig then went to, uh, he was a senior in high school, so he, he left early to go to uh, Northwestern to study the physics of magic and uh, that's basically the premises of the book. So I want to, I'm really curious, to, you know, talking to somebody who is a career engineer who is writing fantasy. So what is your process? Did you have like a, a like a meta plot timeline already planned out? Do you sit down and do outline specific to say chapter this, chapter this? Do you just wing it? How does that, talk to us for, talk to us a bit about how your process is of actually creating this, this fantasy series. I used to travel a lot. And sometimes people get on the airplane that are just very large. And I just imagined uh, maybe somebody huge getting on the airplane. Uh, and that kind of evolved into uh, Wizard Dawning. Um, and no, I just wing it. I just sat down and started writing. What I would do is I would write probably uh, at least a quarter of the book, sometimes a third. And then I'd sit down and do an outline of where I thought the book should go. If I went back and looked at the outline, I would realize that the way it turned out, it has nothing to do with, yeah. Well, it has some vague resemblance to the outline, but I, I would branch off, but I would, at least it gave me some structure in my mind to start forward again. So I, I haven't seen any, uh, anything in, in the description of the fourth book as being the last book. How many more, is this the last, or do you have other books coming out with, the, uh, with this series? I'm trying to decide what to do next. I've had uh, a number of people say that they'd like to have a, a follow-up to Caribbean Layoff. I think in some ways Caribbean Layoff is probably one of my better books, if not the best book. Uh, if not, I think I'll, what I'll do is uh, I'll do some more Battle Wizards books, but I will probably start another series about another Battle Wizard. So talk to us a bit about the world building aspect of, of uh, the world building aspect of the, of the, the battle wizard saga. When I come to the point when I, when I need to have Sig have uh, another problem in his life, another monster that, that comes out, um, I, I research monsters. I took, I would take a lot of the research and I would copy it onto my website. At first I was just keeping that for myself I thought, why not put it on the web? So if people are interested, uh, they can go and find out more about Manticores if they're, if they're interested in that, or, or about grimoires, books about magic, those types of things. So 
I just did a lot of research to try to figure out where, uh, what the, because when you're doing, when you're writing, no matter what field you're writing in, uh, there are other books out there and you want to remain somewhat consistent. Otherwise, people who've read other pieces of fantasy about the same type thing are going to say, oh, this is BS. Uh, I've read out of the books and it doesn't happen this way. So you, you need to not only stay consistent in your world building within your book, you've got to stay consistent across the genre. Otherwise you'll drive, drive readers away. You don't have to be a hundred percent consistent though. It's always interesting to in, introduce uh, new wrinkles. Uh, so why did you decide when you decide to, to, uh, to, to write the series that you wanted it to take place in the real world? Two reasons. Uh, one, because I particularly like contemporary fantasy. Uh, it's just something I enjoy. And the world building uh, is some ways easier and some ways harder. As long as you keep it fitting within the current world, you don't have to invent how the current world goes. You don't have to figure out, do they, do they travel around in carriages or, or, or on horseback, that type of thing. They, they do it like they do right now. So you don't have to do that part of the world building, but you do need to make your fantasy characters fit into this world. So in some ways it's easier, in some ways it's harder. And did you find it all the places that you mentioned in, uh, within the series, are the, the physical locations, are they places that you actually have, the places that you've been to? I, ha I have been to them. It started out in Minnesota and moved to Chicago, so I've been to both those places. But then they've also they've they've also gone uh, across to Europe and into to France, and I had to do a lot of research on on those areas. Did you write your story based off of where the story was heading, or did you write it where you wanted it to go? What do you what exactly mean? Do you mean by where it was heading? Like if it's just naturally as the story was going, it was just kind of going off in a, in a direction that you weren't planning on it to going and you just went with it? Or did you kind of stare it into the direction you wanted the story to? When I started out, when I started out, again, I was winging it. It wasn't, I had no real plans about how it was going to turn out. I just started writing about him and, uh, and his very first encounter in the first chapter is he runs across zombies that are chasing him. The dark mage has set them on him. And, uh, and I, I didn't want to do that because I don't like zombies. And my wife doesn't like zombies, but that's the way it happened. Uh, he killed them off, re-killed them <laughs> <laughs> fairly quickly. We never had any more zombies again. <laughs> And so you mentioned that you named Sig after your uh, your father-in-law. Is there any other characters you've kind of had homages to that are uh, other major characters in the stories that you've had references to other people in your life? So even so, you probably if, even if there was somebody you have the dark mage based off of, you probably wouldn't say that anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that rotten person was. <laughs> So that, that teaches people don't piss off an author or you yeah. end up in his book. 
and not in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this other question. So, I mean, you 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 know, your two major books there. You have your you know your Battle Wizard Saga series, and then you have Caribbean Layoff. Do you see them? Is it a possibility that they are actually in the same shared universe? Uh, you mean that, that they may end up in a book together? Well, if it's because you, you kind of like insinuate that like the Battle Wizard saga is kind of like a future, like it happens sometime in the future. Well, yeah, a few years in the future when climate yeah. change has, has impacted. And that also allows you not to have to put things in it like COVID-19 and, and yeah. those. And the, one of the authors in my critique group uh, is battling with how she's going to deal with COVID-19 uh, in her book. And I said, just don't say anything about it. You don't, don't, you don't give a year, generally give a year. One, one of the other authors uh, uh, has a lot of dates in hers, but never the year, just the time of the time of year. Uh, so by setting it out a few years allows you to, uh, step away from some of the things that you don't know how to deal with like COVID-19. Right. Would you add in some kind of references that only your, the, like the, the battle wizard saga folks would get like something about, you know, a little, a little treat, a little treat or a little Easter egg that's in the background of the story or anything like that. That's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that, but it, yeah, that, that, uh, a little bit of a bridge there for yeah. those in the know. <laughs> if somebody's an independent, independent publishing, do you feel important? Do you feel as though like having a beta reader and for those that are listening, a beta reader is basically someone who will read the book for you and kind of give you feedback. Mm -hmm. Is that a replacement of an editor? Uh, not really. The critique group that I'm in is more like the editor, uh, the, the misspellings, the commas, um, that type of thing. Beta reader is the person who who read it and say, be going along, go, wait, that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Or why is he doing this? Or, uh, and give you feedback on their impression of the book. Of course, if there's typos and that type of thing, you want that information as well. But there's, they're the ones who uh, will read it and, say the book makes sense or it's good or it's not good. And you have, so what were, what would, what would you say is that you've, that the biggest takeaways of like some, a very specific example of something that you've gotten from your critique groups that you have held close for, you know, all, you know, all this time that what's, what's that one big piece of advice or something that you're, you're glad you, were told that one of one of the the people uh, Norm a fellow by the name of Norm Norm Legend who died not too long ago. Of course, the commas and the and he was the the, the editor, so all, all the commas and everything else. I learned a tremendous amount from him from from that. But uh, he always wanted it to be. He said, "Make it believable." If you believe it, you can make. If you can make it believable, people will feel it's believable. If you don't think it's believable, it won't work. Mm. 
So I guess and, that's probably the biggest thing. So what, what's some of your advice to uh, some, um, you know, budding authors or people that are struggling putting together their first manuscript? What are some advice that you would give uh, authors that are writing now? Well, working on your own, everybody works on their own, but you, you need to have people to bounce it off of. Uh, if, whether you can find a, a bunch of beta readers uh, or I think the critique group that I, I belong to has been a tremendous help. Uh, they, they can tell me when you're doing, tell you when you're doing things right and they can believe what you're, you're doing. Uh, can learn writing structure um, so much more. And it's just, and it's not just the fact I find, not just the fact that they critique yours, it's what you learn from critiquing theirs. I've, uh, I've had a couple of authors that I've, I belong in a small group here in Vermont too, uh, which we haven't been, we haven't been doing the Zoom, maybe we ought to think about doing that, but uh, they ask me to critique their, their work and they seem to think I do a good job of it because they keep asking me to do, to, <laughs> to do it. Um, and believe me, it's not something I learned as an aerospace engineer. <laughs> it, it came from writing and critiquing and not only having other people critique mine, but me critiquing theirs as well. Um, and and crit in critiquing, you want to, I have a, I have a thing I do when I'm critiquing is I will highlight parts that I like, I'll highlight in yellow. And I tell them in the beginning, if it's highlighted in yellow, it's because I really thought that paragraph, that phrase, that scene was really good. So as they're reading through it, they'll see something in yellow and they know they did good because you want to not only tell them what they're doing wrong, you want them to continue doing what they're doing. That's good. So I always emphasize doing that. I guess that's one of the things that uh, uh, one of my fellow authors in the critique group is also very good at the, uh, he, he points out all the places much more than where he has a problem, what he likes, mm. which is a, a great thing to do because sometimes you may doubt yourself is this really good and if somebody says this is good this is good you so know you should continue that way see, and yeah. i was going to ask you like what if you know some of those you know it's uh you know some of those folks who might be afraid to uh get you know get critique is but it, there must be an art to it as well so you don't want to just completely rip apart someone's work that they've been doing for six months. So what's kind right. of like the, what is, is that something that you learned over time or is that something that is? Well, that's one of the things that helped with the big group I was in with the 25 to 35 authors that, that you didn't, you didn't get your submission reviewed every week. You might, you might be once a month or something like that, but you got to see what other people were, were commenting about on other people's work. And a lot of it was, this is good. This part is good. But you, would you think about this? Mm. Uh, so uh, you, you, need, you need to realize that authors have, uh, have fragile egos like everyone does. You've got to deal with that too. 
and you've got to definitely make sure that they continue doing what they're doing right. Right. Yeah. Okay, good. What's your writing schedule? What's your strategy like? So what do you, because do you usually get most of your ideas at night or you, you wake up, you know, on the crack of dawn with a cup of coffee? How does that, do you work, do you, as you said, do you write it down with pencils first? Do you type it all out? How does that, what's your uh, I do it all on my laptop uh, and I find, I like to, my wife and I are different. She likes to read in the mornings and I like to watch the news. She likes to watch TV at night. I like to write. So while she's watching TV, I'll be writing. I may even be in the same room with her, uh, but I can learn to tune out a lot of the shows that she's that she watches that she she enjoys and and just write. Yeah. Of course, I haven't been doing anything for quite some time because I've been working on this bathroom. <laughs> but it's almost done. Yeah, that's good. That nice nice project for you to keep you busy, huh? Mm-hmm. Keep you out of trouble. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> All right. So, so Mike, we're, we're knocking on the top of the hour. So real quick, where can people find you if they want to read your books or, or, or follow you? Most, well, they could always go to Barnes and Noble if they wanted a book, but mostly uh, my books are sold on, on Amazon and most of the readers are Kindle readers. Uh, they, uh, I also have my books uh, on uh, Kindle Unlimited if they're uh, Kindle Prime members. They can go on Kindle and pick up the book and read it for free. They borrow it until they're until they fill up their ten book list, and uh, and then if they want a new book, they add another one. But uh, mostly, yeah, that's I do a, a lot of stuff is uh, Kindle Unlimited, which uh, I've been very pleased with. And is that something? Is that something that you had to register as to be a part of the Kindle Unlimited, or is that part and parcel of the, the self-publishing? You, you just have to check a box and say you're part of Kindle Unlimited. There are some limitations. You can't publish on other other ebooks like um, I, uh, Apple. You have to be on Kindle for your for your Kindle for your e ebook, but. Uh, you get paid for every page that a person reads. They don't even have to finish the whole book. Uh, they borrow it, they read it if they don't like it, and they've only finished it after 400, you only get 400 pages. They, uh, they like the whole thing, then you get paid for that too. But uh, Amazon's done some really interesting things in the world of e-publishing. Wow, yeah. And they can find you also is that you have at it's it's at cm-lance.com right. cm-lance.com which uh, some of the menus aren't working now and I've got to get get busy fixing that <laughs> as I mentioned I just added security to my website for the first time and it's the the scroll down menus stopped working so I'll have to figure out why that is yeah I think it has something to do with the security. Yeah. And so what's, so what's next? You just had your, your fourth book out that just mm -hmm. came out in June, I believe. Correct. Uh, late May. Yeah. Okay. And that's yeah. the, the dragon's that's eye. Dragon eye. Yeah. 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 And that's kind of the end of this series. So there's a four. And actually people can buy the first three books for uh, the cost of two or less than the cost of two. 
so they can read the first three and then they can they like those they could they come in as a set i saw that uh, yeah yeah, yeah. And, and then they can get the fourth one yeah cool all right well, thank you very much, Mike. This has been this has been this has been fun, and I'm really excited to, uh, you know, keep reading your series. And and I and that especially as you mentioned that your your Caribbean layoff was a finalist to get an award for that as well. Mm. And and I think you're if you're going to um, listen to the demands of your fan and fans and uh, put out a sequel to that, I'd be pretty excited to talk to you about that too. That yeah, and that's the one that people keep telling me they need to make a movie out of it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Mike. And, uh, and uh, it, was, it was great talking to you. Great talking to you too, Tony.